And my first question is, did Will Smith know they were separated? You know, right. <laughs> that's my first yeah. question. Next, I wonder. <laughs> were they on a break? It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and him hitting a Chris Rock was so bizarre and out of character for Will. And I think everybody thought, what the heck is going on here? back episode 12 we're talking about a lot of stuff jada pinkett smith and will smith always interesting we've got celeb divorce we've got joe jonas we've got grimes and elon we've got an jeezy update we've got Marin morris we have celeb divorces still going crazy we had the summer of celeb divorce right rahul and now it's the fall and now it's the fall it's continuing winter is coming as they say, right? Okay. And uh, Illinois shocking. We got Illinois divorce rate story. We've got a story about from psychology today, one of our favorites, seven reasons people regret divorce, why the most successful marriages are startups and our interesting article from the Atlantic, 12 expert tips to ease divorce, financial stress and a dating app story. So a lot of good stuff today. Let's get rolling. Cue the music That's we awesome. don't have. <laughs> probably get some All right. music. Yeah, sometime we'll get a cool rap song or something awesome so the, the younger generation oh. thinks we're hip. That, that, um, yeah, that okay. would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first story, we always love our Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith stories, because at this point, you said before the show, people are starting to feel sorry for Will Smith. As we hear more about this relationship, it kind of gets a little more weird as we go by. So I guess there's a book out. She's promoting her new book, Worthy. And uh, she admitted to Hoda on the Today Show that they live separately and disclosed that they've been separate for a long time. Like what? Seven, seven? years. Seven years. She said, and this is a little weird, I made a promise that there will never be a reason for us to get a divorce. We'll work through whatever. And I just haven't been able to break that promise. Okay. But you're not living together. What's not living the together. He, yeah. he slapped Chris Rock for no reason. Yeah. Then he got What's dissed by Chris Rock for every reason. <laughs> yeah. And uh, splitting in 2016, Pinkett Smith said she and Smith quote, we're just exhausted with trying to stay together. I think we were both kind of just still stuck in our fantasy of what we thought the other person should be, end quote. The actress suggested that not being ready to discuss the split publicly, apparently they weren't ready. It's 2023. <laughs> <laughs> not um, ready now. It's been seven years, yeah. As well as, quote, still trying to figure out between the two of us how to be in partnership, end quote were reasons to harbor the secret. They even kept it quiet through a period of intense scrutiny when the actress was accused of cheating on Smith with family friend August Alsina. In 2021, she reluctantly confirmed her relationship with Alsina in a conversation with Smith on her now defunct show, Red Table Talk. I got into a different kind of entanglement with August, the actress revealed, while also admitting she and Smith were separated at the time. She further clarified it was a relationship, absolutely. Well, anyway, we know well, what happened after that, right? Right, and you know, it's funny because it's sad and it's funny because that's what Will Smith was previously getting rolled through the coals for and people were feeling bad for him was this whole entanglement where not only did she have this quote unquote affair. And my first question is, did Will Smith know they were separated? You know, right. <laughs> that's my first yeah. question. Next, I wonder. <laughs> were they on a break? It, yeah, exactly. And then every <laughs> few months or every year, you know, there's something new coming up. So uh, I, uh, I'm afraid she's going to one day come back and say, Will, by the way, these aren't even your kids. You know, oh, man. Uh, God forbid. And, and, and nothing to say that, but I'm just saying. So yeah. it's like the Entanglement happened. She made him sit on the TV show across from her at this table right. and then said, hey, how do you feel about my affair, essentially, <laughs> as he found out about it. Poor guy. Yeah, guessing yeah. not well. Didn't love it. <laughs> you could see the tears as he was grinning through the whole thing. Oh. And Man. then, you know, I just feel bad for him. Growing up, you know, grew up on Fresh Prince and, you know, the rapper as well. I as like Bad show. Boys myself. Bad Boys the first for movie Life. was great. Yeah, that was great. It's funny how life takes a turn and he used to be like one of the best actors and now he well, just gets and, ridiculed. Yeah, and well-liked. Like, I think everybody oh, genuinely thought, globally. what a nice guy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And him hitting a Chris Rock was so bizarre and out of character for Will. And I think everybody thought, what the heck is going on here? Because it was so out of left field. Very weird. Anyway, the article says the couple's relationship is complicated. Well, no kidding. Pinkett Smith <laughs> said they're still figuring it out, to say the least. She said, we've been doing some really heavy duty work together. We just got deep love for each other. And we're going to figure out what that looks like for us. Okay. So married in 1997 yeah they have Jaden and willow 25 and 22 it's wild that their kids are 25 and 22 for me kind of growing up with will smith being probably around my age smith has another son trey who's 30 years old who pinkett smith calls her bonus son with his ex-wife so crazy situation everybody's got their own deal that's one thing you learn you know doing this business and being around a while Yep. You learn, boy, you don't know what's going on under the hood of somebody's relationship and everybody's got their own situation. 
So. Oh, it's tough. Yep, exactly. And and you never know what people are going through, I guess. So you had something about our man, Joe Jonas. Yes. Because it sounds like mediation was had, right? What happened? Exactly. So a few days ago, we get news that Joe Jonas files to dismiss the case that he has against or with Sophie Turner. So he reportedly filed to dismiss his Miami divorce case after successful four days of mediation. So on October 11th, Good. he filed to dismiss this petition after he and Sophie came to a temporary agreement allegedly regarding custody and apparently both parties reached various agreements and aimed to pursue an amicable resolution of all issues. So they agreed to split custody of the two daughters, Willa and Delphine, and they'll alternate custody with the children with about two weeks each parent through so, January of 2024. What about the British thing? Because the whole thing we talked about in the previous show, I don't remember which episode was, mm -hmm. she wanted to take the kids to England and that was like the big issue. And there was That was the big issue. Yeah. yeah, and there was a question of should the kids go back to the United States or to, to the UK? Mm -hmm. Are they supposed to be? Are they living there? Are they living here? So all that went away. Essentially now they said the kids are going to split time in both jurisdictions. So they'll be both here with dad and there with mom UK? And, and the UK. And then so... Well, Okay. Yeah, so it, it works out. So mediation works. Just like prenups work, mediations work. I'm trying to figure out, though, and maybe you know this, why did they dismiss the case? I mean, it's not like they're divorced. They've reached a temporary custody agreement. So why dismiss the case? That's a great question. There were two cases, I recall. There was a counter, there was a cross complaint, right? They each filed. Right. Maybe the reporter's getting it mixed up and one case is dismissed. Because you're right, if they haven't entered a divorce judgment and it's just a temporary order, if you dismiss the case, the temporary order disappears. Everything goes away with it. So so I'm guessing one of the cases was dismissed and the other one is pending. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. The U.S. case, if I was Jonas, if we have this international jurisdictional issue, you know, I would insist there's a finding or an agreement that home state is, you know, whatever state they're in in the U.S. and nail that down. So you get that committed and get some a court order entered on that issue. But uh, good point. I don't know offhand, which reminds me, I forgot to mention that we always like to wrap a little bit of hardcore divorce advice in bacon. It's like what we like to say, we wrap it in bacon, we make it taste good. So we wanted to tell everybody, the listeners and viewers, a little something about separation and legal separation, because we hear about the terms thrown around all the time. And I meant to mention it in the Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith thing, and I forgot. I was just going to say, I think one reason it might be the case is because in Florida, I know we all know people who practice in different jurisdictions, right? So I think my understanding is maybe they're dismissing it. And this is just speculation. You know, they mediated everything, but they don't want it to be in the public eye. So they'll say, you know what, let's dismiss this case. We'll work on an agreement. We'll go and file elsewhere, get the divorce done. Nobody will know about it. And this way it's private. And that's probably part of it. It's like the whole Tom Brady Giselle divorce. They didn't have a prenup or maybe they did. I don't know, but nobody heard anything about it. And it was kind of worked through and we don't know any details. Right. You know, if there was a prenup, what did it say? If there wasn't, then how did they yeah. work it out? You know, none of these things, nobody knew. And all of a sudden they were divorced. They had 10 days in Costa Rica and it was done. And yeah. They're all Florida residents too. So maybe this is one of those models where they say, let's work it out without being in public every other day. You know, when you see these, the rich and famous divorces, they're all on the down low like that. They mediate these things and then mm -hmm. bam, a judgment gets entered and none of the details get into the public record, you know, exactly. all by design. So yeah, they got it right. That's the way to go. That's the way we like to do it is collaborate, mediate, get the case negotiated, get it all done, get a judgment entered and keep the fine details out of the record. Just exercise discretion, you know, as needed. So. Yeah, exactly. Bacon. Now let's talk about bacon. By the way, a lot of bacon in this episode, but this is bacon wrapped. And more bacon. I don't know what, vegetables or something. Uh, so <laughs> basically what we want to do is try to give you some information and help orient you on some classic divorce topics, <clears throat> but not be boring about it. This is not a boring Divorce Slayer podcast. So you said Will Smith and Jada were separated, not really separated. Nobody knows. So that's yeah. what this is about. Thank you. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a difference between being separated. So just moving out of the house and a legal separation. And a lot of people don't really understand the difference. I had a consultation with a potential client a couple of days ago where the person was talking about this very topic and talking about Illinois law. And many states are very similar to this or the same. And it might differ in your jurisdiction, especially if you're not in the United States or if you're in a, we're in an equitable division state if you're in a community property state, this might be a little different, but generally speaking, this is accurate wherever you are. So being separated, just moving apart has no legal effect 
on your finances in any way. So moving out of the house, moving into an apartment or whatever, that doesn't trigger anything. So in our state, your money is all in one pot, even though you might have separate accounts. Even, and we're not talking about non-marital property. We're not talking about a prenup. We're just saying in the generic situation, if you had a joint account with all the money in it, and let's say you set it up account A for you and account B for your wife or whatever, and you move out of the house and you put your own money in your own separate accounts, and maybe you put a little bit of money in the joint account to pay bills, your money doesn't become yours, her money doesn't become hers, it's all in one pot. The court sees it all as one thing and doesn't care where you moved it, doesn't care what you did with it, doesn't care who saved and who spent, it's all a wash. And so people don't understand this. And some people have these extended separations like this, which is why I was thinking about this, where they might live apart for many years. They think they're doing something that has legal significance. I had a client whose wife moved to Texas and was there for 10 years and lived a completely independent life. She had her own job, she had her own accounts, he had his own accounts. They had no financial dealings with each other. They own a piece of real estate together and they didn't even have any joint accounts left. And I had to tell the guy, everything you've got, you have to share. And the guy was shocked. He said, well, we've been separate for all these years. Doesn't matter. It has no effect. So people, I think, are surprised to find out, well, what? I thought I moved apart and we divided our money. Well, the court doesn't care. Without a postnuptial agreement or a divorce decree, you can enter orders temporarily in a divorce case that could be considered binding for pre-distributions of assets. But we don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. The important thing to know is without a final judgment, or a post-nup, everything is in one pot. Again, aside from prenups and stuff like that. Or a so, legal separation, right? You, you can get yeah. a legal separation. And, we're gonna, and we'll get to legal separation in a second. Yeah, exactly. So word to the wise, moving out or living apart has no legal significance, except you have to live separate and apart for a period of time in our state in order to get a divorce or file for divorce. Normally people just agree to the time period and it's not a real issue. Uh, six months, but that can be agreed upon or waived. It's not really an issue. So a lot of states have some kind of timing requirement where you have to live separate, but you don't even have to live in, the, in a different home for it to count. So let's talk briefly about legal separation and we can get back to bacon. So legal separation is actually a court judgment. And I'm talking about Illinois legal separation, but other states will be pretty similar. File a, a petition with the court that's sort of similar to a divorce petition and you seek a declaration of legal separation. What does that do? If you go to court and actually have a separation trial, which I've never actually seen or heard of anybody doing, people usually work it out by agreement. First of all, very few people go for legal separation at all, and we'll get to why that is in a minute. All the court can do, they can deal with custody and, and parenting times, custody and visitation. Court can do child support and alimony or spousal support, but the court can't divide marital property. Court can't split your property. And what ends up happening with legal separation is the real impact of it from a financial standpoint is you don't accrue new marital property and you don't accrue new marital debt. So your liabilities and your assets part ways from the day the judgment for legal separation is entered, you can agree to divide your property. If you do it by agreement, that's okay. The court can give it its blessing, but the court can't order it if you have a separation trial, which again, I've never heard of happening. Uh, usually somebody files for separation, the other person a lot of times files for divorce in a counter petition and it ends up not mattering. One important feature in Illinois of separation and one reason why I'm not excited about it for people typically, and I'll get, we'll get into a couple other ones. And I want to hear what you have to say when you file a divorce case, you're not divorced when you're done. So I tell, I tell potential clients, it's not a divorce junior. It's not a pre-divorce and it's not a half divorce. I think people think, Oh, you know, it's like pre-boarding. I'm sort of halfway done. And then I just get divorced. It's like, no, you kind of go back to square one. And importantly, in Illinois, alimony is reviewed from the get-go. It's like whatever deal you had with alimony, alimony is reviewed what they call de novo or all over again. Go back to square one. So I'm sure the court will consider previous alimony arrangements, but you can't have some permanent thing or some locked-in deal. Somebody files for divorce, throws out whatever deal you had before in a separation. So do you have any thoughts on that? And then I'll talk about like, after that, I want to talk about like, why legal separation exists in the first place. Yeah, no, I just have a few thoughts. So I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think legal separation for most people are a waste of time. Might be one or two reasons why here and there you might swing a legal separation. But for the most part, it's a waste of time because like you said, you don't get divorced. You're not halfway there. You're, yep. you're just somewhere else. <laughs> so, but you're still married. And so an alternative to that would just be to get, like you said, get a post-nup. You'll say, hey, let's separate, but let's do this post-nup. And if, if they want to work that out, if property, but you'll still have property accruing. So the real way to do it would be just to get divorced. Or if you must get a legal separation, then yeah, like you said, you're bookending it from here to here. So that will be your frame of marital property 
property, everything else on this side and this side is, is yours, but right. it's not very many advantages. Yeah, the three things that come to my mind are religious reasons. People mm -hmm. for religious reasons can't get divorced. This And this is the origin of legal separation. It's a very old remedy. So A, people can't get divorced for religious reasons. B, it was set up as a remedy originally, and this is true for women, because in this is not sexist, this is historical fact, more men made the money than women back not that many decades ago. And women were homemakers, didn't have access to, to money necessarily. And in Illinois, before 1976, you had to prove fault to win in a divorce case. And we didn't have a level playing field statute, which is a law that makes, if you don't have access to cash, you can get your spouse to come up with money to pay for an attorney on a temporary basis so you can get funds to match funds that your spouse has spent on a lawyer. Well, that didn't exist. And with fault, you had to pay for, get a private investigator. It was difficult to prove fault. We didn't have no fault divorce. So you had to prove adultery, chronic alcoholism. It wasn't, and you know, what's interesting is mental cruelty wasn't even a reason until I want to say the, like shockingly recently, as far as I'm concerned, like I want to say the early eighties or late seventies in Illinois, which surprises people, but you had to prove these very hardcore reasons to get divorced. And it was very difficult to do that. So you had proof problems. If you're on, if you're on the standpoint of typically the woman, these days, I know things have changed dramatically. The laws changed dramatically. We have no fault. We have level playing field statute and more women are graduating college than men. There are plenty of women earning money now and the financial thing has all changed dramatically, but we're talking about decades ago and now, you know, a hundred plus years ago too. So at that time, this remedy was available for people that couldn't otherwise get a divorce and you didn't have to prove fault to get a separation. You could get alimony, you could get child support. So if a guy literally ran out on a, on a woman, like left and cut her off, she might not be able to prove adultery or the other termination events, the four cause events, but she could prove the guy ran away and I've got no contact, I have no access to money. And a court would grant legal separation and provide for support and temper and custody arrangements. So that's the origin of the law. And so as the religious reasons have kind of faded, I think for a lot of people. And as the financial and legal reasons have faded for people because demographics have changed and laws changed, but I would love to see the stats. I wonder how many separations were filed in 1950, 1960, 1970. I have no idea. It's like a breakdown by decade and now versus now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's virtually zero now. And the one other advantage is you stay married. So an advantage, you're still married. So people will do it to stay on the health insurance. I was that, just going to say that. That's, yep. That's yeah. the one reason if someone has a chronic injury or disability or diagnosis and they're terminal and they need health insurance. And if you're divorced, you can't be on the, and they have good health insurance and you need to be on your spouse's health insurance. The only way to do it would be to be legally separated. So, yeah. So people do that. So thanks for indulging me on the bacon wrapped stuff. So I hope that helps. And we always like comments too. Please leave comments with the show so we can know that you like this content and we want to do better and, and provide things that you're interested in. Okay. So back to bacon. What do we got? Grimes, right? We're at Grimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank What's you. What's going on with Elon? Yeah, Grimes has three kids with Elon Musk, who is obviously an interesting character, filed a petition against him in California to establish parental relationship. Superior Court San Francisco says on the website the petition was filed by Claire Boucher, Grimes' real name. Much information wasn't readily available for details. Basically, a petition to establish this is this type of thing is a paternity case. And these are filed all the time for unmarried parents. So I have to kind of chuckle because they have the names of the kids, which if you've heard of our little unusual, they had a son in May, 2020 named X A E A. I don't know. X 10 points for they, someone who can say it. <laughs> yeah. They call that kid X, which I'm sure was a plan that Elon had to help brand the kid and the, and Twitter and everything. And a daughter Exa dark Sidrail who goes by Y. Okay. Via surrogate. And then I'm guessing, do you have any, do you know who the third, what the name of the third kid is? I don't. I did not either. I didn't even know it's he had three kids. Yeah. I didn't either. Third child's real name, Techno Mechanicus. What it's the coolest the name I could think the, of out of what all. What is up? Yeah. And, and nicknamed Tau, T A U, for all of you playing in the home game. I was expecting Z just because you right. had X, Y, and yeah, I'm just trying to follow the Tesla models or Model 3, right? That's the third child. Legal proceedings came after she recently responded to a tweet by Isaacson, who's the guy who did the biography on Musk, which I, I have in my pile of books back here. It's huge. I have to, I just started reading it. Anyway, Isaacson famously did the Jobs uh, biography, which is an amazing read, by the way. But apparently there's an Isaacson tweet showing Elon's twins with Siobhan Zillis. And the tweet was, 
from, this is her response to a tweet showing the picture of the kids. Tell Shivana unblock me and tell Elon to let me see my son or please respond to my lawyer. Uh-oh. So apparently it sounds like they were not letting Grimes see the kids to some degree. I don't know. Anyway, it sounds weird that the thing she added in the comment on X, formerly mm -hmm. known, the artist formerly known as Twitter was, I've never even been allowed to see a photo of these children until this moment, despite the situation utterly ripping my family apart. That's crazy. Grimes later deleted the tweet before writing on X on September 10th. I spoke with Siobhan at length finally, which was long overdue. This wasn't her fault. Please don't be angry with her at her. We respect each other a lot. We're excited to become friends. Okay, so it sounds like maybe there's some reconciliation going on. We hope for the sake of the kids, mm -hmm. X, Y, and Tao. Hopefully Elon's doing the right thing. Rahul, because the folks at home might not know, can you tell them what goes on in a parentage case typically? So typically in a parentage case, it's sort of the, that would be what a half divorce would be like. So <laughs> yes. in divorce, you deal with parentage issue, you deal with child-related custody issues, you deal with visitation, you deal with child support, you know, alimony perhaps, maintenance, you deal with division of property. So if you take half of those things, you have custody, visitation, and child support. So that's what a parentage case deals with. So what you end up doing is determining, depending on your jurisdiction, again, like we always say, we are here in the Chicagoland area. So here we have, you know, who gets to make decisions for the kids regarding health, religion, education, and extracurricular activities, and how right. much time does a child spend with each parent? Where do they mm -hmm. spend holidays, so on and so forth. So typically these issues get addressed. Obviously, the basic element there is, you know, you are actually the father, like Maury Povich says. So you have to first be established as the father, the biological father, because when you're married, you're presumed to be the father. When you're not right. married, you have to either be on, there should be some legal record that establishes your paternity or you establish it in court, which is why it's called parentage court. So you establish yep. parentage, you get your custody, your visitation schedule, whatever it is, and then the court or you guys work out what sort of a child support arrangement there will be, who's going to pay for what expenses, so on and so forth. That's your parentage case. Yeah, yeah and they do a DNA test in every case with a little swab on the cheek, there's no blood yeah. test required. It's quick, it's easy, it's cheap. The only twist on this is, like you said, custody, visitation, child support, that's it. People that have lived together a really long time and have a child together and then they split up, they'll ask about things like property. They'll say, well, can you divide property? What about alimony? So we should have gotten married. Yep. You don't, you don't get anything like that. You just have to walk and take your child support. And that's hard, bitter pill to swallow for some people. And that's kind of a wake up call for folks that are together for a long time. And all you get is custody, visitation and child support. It doesn't matter how long it's been. And the one thing you see is people will be together for a long time unmarried. And even when they separate, we see cases all the time. And I know you have where they'll come in for a consultation. You'll find out they lived together six years, seven years, or maybe they've been separated a few years and they actually got along. Mm -hmm. They worked out a parenting thing. The guy bought diapers and sent checks. If he was a good dude, every, uh, you know, frequently to help pay for the child and everything was okay. And then a new boyfriend comes along or somebody gets married after the breakup and they come to us and say, it isn't working out anymore. And they end up going to court. So Grimes, you know, and Elon, they've had these kids for a few years now. One thing I say is it was okay until it wasn't okay. Yep. And I think that was going on here. And if Grimes wasn't able to see the kids, she's like the hell with it. I'm going to take this guy to court and get a custody order to cover myself. So, you know, we, we encourage people to go, even if things are even the best time actually to get that paternity case done is when things are good. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. You don't, cause you want to keep small cases small. Yeah. And so, you know, word to, if you're out there, if you're listening or you know somebody who's got a child with somebody and they're not married and they're getting along, tell them to go ahead and get that parentage case done. It's not relatively inexpensive as cases go, especially if they're getting along. They'll memorialize their agreements. They'll get child support in a court order. And then you've got nothing left to do or worry about. And if people have a falling out, you've got a court order to fall back on. Yep. So it's when you scramble and things go sideways, that's a rough time to go into court when somebody's in a bad mood now. And now you've got in Cook County, how long does it take in Cook, Rahul, to get a parentage case done these days? Oh boy, these days, you know, you can, it, depending on how, what good of a mood or bad of a mood people are in when they go into these, <laughs> like, are they in good terms with each other, bad terms with each other? I mean, you can talk anywhere from like two to three months to, you know, 12 to 15 months. Yeah, that's I mean, the downside. Easy. 
So and it gets it gets real pricey, you know. So oh, yeah. yeah, so do it while you're getting along, not when you're not getting along. One other thing I wanted to mention: there's a thing called a volunteer acknowledgement of paternity. It's a piece of paper they ask you to sign in the hospital if you're the parents, and when you sign that, it has magical powers. When the parents sign that, they're legally bound as the parents of the child, we call it a VAP. And there's a similar document probably in most, if not all states. And because the state interest is in seeing that children have parents that are going to take care of them and pay the bills for them. So they encourage people to sign the VAP to confirm they're the legal parents, but it's binding. So one piece of advice we give people is what, if you're not sure. Don't sign it. Don't sign it. Get your DNA because test. it's a nuclear bomb. Once you sign that thing, now there is like an exception, I think, right? Isn't There's like there a rescission period. You yeah. have like a yeah, like a certain amount of days where you can un, quote unquote undo it, right? So it's like sort of like sending long, an email. Right? It's not very long. Uh, you know, it's like maybe yeah. 30 days or 60 days or something like that. So very short, but don't take the chance. If you have any suspicion, just you've already done, you know, most of everything. You just need one quick like swab and you'll know if it's your child or not. So just... Yeah, because we've had, we've, we've had horror stories yeah. where a guy thought he was a dad, signed the VAP happily, finds out X number of years later, not the father. You know, I'm telling you, there's some crazy stuff that happens. It's rare, but still. Okay. Like the song, um, right? Kanye West song, 18 years. Okay, what is up next? We've got Jeezy, right? Yeah, we have an update on Jeezy, or like you say, young Jeezy. I think you were, he was still young Jeezy to you. Uh, at one point, because yeah. I'm old Rafe now. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he finally broke his silence on the divorce. We talked about how they had filed for divorce previously, and yeah. he 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 broke his silence. He said it's not impulsive this decision to end this chapter of his life, and it comes with a heavy heart. And he cherishes all the time he spent with with his spouse, and his daughter is primary, and that. She's a wonderful gift from his relationship, and they're both committed to making sure she feels the love and stability that she deserves. And there was a prenup that's in place. We don't know yet, so we'll we'll follow up on that. And I guess they're still living together, just in separate quarters. So we see that a lot, right? We see a lot of people, yeah. including celebrities, apparently, who live together just because it's convenient. And right. you get to this, see your kid 100% of the time. This statement brought to you by Jeezy's PR team and or ChatGPT, because that was beautifully <laughs> exactly. written. But no, that's the message you want to hear is a unified message and a positive one. That's mm-hmm. very well done. Yep. So yeah, that's interesting. So we yeah, will keep everybody updated on that, especially when details come out of negotiations and prenup, things like that. Those are always interesting details. And we try to provide for you, the listener, anything that would help you using these celebrity divorces as sort of a model or an example, we say, look, there's things, there's lessons to be learned here. And one thing we see more often than not is prenups work. Uh, Number two, uh, mediation works. Mm -hmm. Number three, a positive message out in public works and nobody needs to know the details. You know, things just didn't work out. That's all the public needs to know. Don't air your dirty laundry. Yeah, it never pays off. And I know occasionally in social media, people disagree with me and they say, well, if it's an abuser, the world deserves to know and all that. And I understand that, but I have to tell you that's those are outliers. And I can say in the vast majority of cases, it's better to just take the high road and not put people on blast, you know, out on social and everything. Okay, anything else on that, Rahul? No, no, I think that was just a quick little update for everybody who's following. And next one is the Hulk, Lou Ferrigno. For those of you who are younger than 40, maybe 45, you may not know that Lou Ferrigno was once a Mr. Universe contender. And if you've ever seen a movie that's fascinating, it's Pumping Iron. Oh, I love that movie. Lou Ferrigno, it's a competition about weightlifting. And Schwartz, a young Schwarzenegger's in there with a young Lou Ferrigno. And you watch Schwarzenegger get inside Lou Ferrigno's head by making fun of him and stuff. It's absolutely hysterical. With Schwarzenegger's accent, his Austrian accent was so thick back then. It, you know, it's come a long way, but it's so funny because Schwarzenegger was always so self-confident and his ego is huge. You know, yeah. it filled the room. And Ferrigno is a very emotional kind of guy, you could tell, and a very impressive physique too, you know. But there's, you see him like getting ready for the competition and Arnold going over there making fun of him and telling him he looks flabby and stuff. Totally gets in his head. It ends up culminating in a competition where they're both competing. Anyway, Ferrigno famously played after that, I believe. Uh, Ferrigno was on TV playing the Hulk, putting him in green body paint. And he would be, there was Bruce Banner and he'd turn into the Hulk. And back when I was a kid, we used to watch the show. And he was married for 43 years. Don't know what happened there. So the wife filed for divorce, accusing him of flaunting a mistress, not just having one. Apparently flaunting one is more significant than having. 
having one. Trapping her in abusive and controlling marriage, not cool, after she was diagnosed with dementia. Ferrigno's wife, Carla, age 74, made the disturbing claims in recent court filings in San Luis Obispo, or San Luis Obispo County, California. She opposed his attempt to establish a court-ordered conservatorship to control her affairs. So the plot thickens. It comes after Ferrigno, 71, claimed in court Carla has advanced dementia accused their own daughter, 42-year-old Shanna, of elder abuse for attempting to drive Carla to the bank to withdraw half a million bucks. In response, Carla now accuses Ferrigno, her husband of 43 years, of covertly cutting off her access to their joint finances and of keeping her physically isolated to prevent her from divorcing him. In a signed declaration, she alleged, well, of course, it's always a signed declaration. <laughs> I love when reporters write this stuff. They think it's a signed thing with the court. It's, you know, yeah. of course it is. You know, it has to be. Parties have cited irreconcilable differences, right? Yes, they, right. We talked about that in a previous pod. Maybe a couple of them, they always say, ooh, it's irreconcilable. That sounds serious. Well, that's that's the legal requirement. You always have to say that. She alleges Ferrigno has a brazen, a brazen affair, brazen, a divorce lawyer clearly wrote that, with a mistress named Lisa, quote, with whom she spends most of his time traveling to his various appearances and flaunting in my face even when he's home. Okay, if that's true, not cool, Lou, but the brazen is kind of an interesting phrase. There's some photos in this story. This is Daily Mail, by the way. A hat to Daily Mail. Links, by the way, to all stories in the show notes, as always. Uh, so you can look at this stuff yourself. So Ferrigno was a bodybuilding rival of Arnold Schwarzenegger before becoming an actor best known for The Incredible Hulk, as we said. And then another Carla said this, while his infidelity may not be abuse, when I get upset with him about her being around, he physically intimidates me by getting in my face and using his much larger size. He will remind everyone he's the Hulk. He's a 71-year-old Hulk, but okay compared to my slight stature to scare and control me to submission. Now, this isn't funny because this is domestic violence if this is true. So intimidation, yelling, cornering people, even if you don't touch them, that is domestic violence. So I'm not making light of this, but sometimes lawyers make this stuff really dramatic and the evidence will come out eventually. And clearly there's an interesting story here because Lou is alleging this dementia situation and the daughter trying to withdraw money. So this is a complex evolving situation, as they say in the news. And Rahul and I don't have all the facts yet, and it's going to come out over time. So these are allegations, and they go through some background of Ferrigno. And then Ferrigno's attorney, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I apologize if you're listening. After you're listening, reach out to us. I'd actually love, we'd love to talk to you. I know you can't talk about this case, but we'd be interested to hear about Hollywood, like celeb divorces in general. Vachi Zetjian, Z-E-T-J-I-A-N. If you're listening or somebody you know, or somebody knows him or her, I apologize, I don't know. We would love to hear from you just to talk about what it's like to handle these kinds of cases. That's it. We're not going to ask for any client privileged confidential information. We know better. So the attorney said, Lou's priority remains wife's welfare. This is really a great statement by the lawyer and a good example for other lawyers. Rather that these days you can't just say no comment. You have to say something that is carefully calculated because the press won't go with no comment. If you say no comment, they, they fill it with negativity. Yep. So this is where PR teams come in handy. Loose priority remains his wife's welfare. All of the restraining orders recently mentioned in the press have been suspended on mutual agreement of the parties and things like that happen frequently. People work out an agreement. Lou and Carla through their, through counsel have agreed to mediate. Excellent. We love it. Big fans of ADR. Lou's hope remains they reach an amicable resolution. Lou requests privacy for his family members at this time. That's great. Simple, sweet, short. Yeah, first class. Carla confirms in the filings she's been diagnosed with dementia. Both her doctor and her attorney says she's consistently expressed her desire for a divorce for years, and it's the capacity to understand that decision. They have substantial assets, $3 million mansion in California and some other stuff. So there's a lot more here. But Rahul, can you talk briefly about guardianship conservatorship? You've probably seen these cases a couple times before. They don't come across your desk very often, but... We're seeing increasingly with gray divorce, these situations where either someone's taking advantage of a parent or a relative and somebody tries to seek a guardianship or whatever in the marriage and there's a cross complaint of divorce and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we can... Um... Uh, this can be one of those bacon wrap things we could talk about on a different episode in further detail, but just sort of like a little teaser here. Typically, you know, especially in gray divorce or in, in cases where mental capacity is in question, you know, there's a question of does this person have the well capacity to even understand or acknowledge the conditions or terms of a divorce? Like, do they know what is happening to them right now that they're actually getting legally yeah. divorced and the co consequences of the, the divorce? So a guardianship is essentially, as the name sounds, having a third party guardian appointed to handle your affairs. They could be both personal or financial or both. So 
This yep. could be sort of like taking care of your day-to-day -day needs or just managing your finances so someone doesn't drive you to the bank and take $500,000 out of your account. And the guardian can, you know, in your stead, sign off on divorce paperwork, things of that nature as well, depending on the powers yeah. that the court gives them, uh, you know, based on their understanding of what their, the, the, the ward is what they call them, the ward wants. Right. So that's, that's really how a tiny little element of how guardianship works here. And the question would be, well, you know, is this person, and you have to go through a hearing and there has to be a finding that this person needs this and is, can't function without one, so on and so forth. Yeah, and both stories right now sound plausible, but that's the way allegations are. So one yeah. thing we wanna make clear is all this is doing is reporting allegations made by two people in their pleadings. There's no proof yet. These are just things people claim have happened. Press loves to report things in pleadings. They say, oh, they said this, this has happened, this has happened. Even though they're sworn pleadings, that doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> Shocker. And so when people report what's in a complaint or a response, we just want people to understand it's the opening salvo in a battle. And yep. nobody knows what the evidence is until proofs are offered in a courtroom if they ever get to that point. And a lot, you know, most of these cases settle and you really never know. You know, it's like yep. very rare that you have like a Johnny Depp situation where we all hear the evidence and it gets late, the cards get laid on the table. That's very uncommon in family law cases. You know, most Extremely of these rare. settle. Yeah. So it, you know, both sides kind of have a plausible theory of the case, as we call it, but we'll see as the evidence shakes out or the, or it won't and they'll settle, but good on the lawyer for this public statement. That's very well handled. So next we're talking about Marin Morris, right? That's right. So Marin Morris, country singer has filed for divorce. So almost end of the year, but like the article says, endless number of breakups this year and it continues onward like we started off with, with the podcast today. <laughs> so according to People, Maren Morris has allegedly filed for divorce from her husband of five years, Ryan Hurd, earlier this month. And like we sort of talked about, almost like a premonition here, they cite irreconcilable differences <laughs> as a reason for the split. The two, they have a three-year-old child, and I guess they first started dating in 2015. And she is a famous country singer, but I guess she is not a fan of country music at this point, and there's a lot of issues, so she's trying to distance herself from country music. But... It's interesting and it's a very developing story, but we wanted to sort of just mention that's happening since we like to kind of keep abreast of these situations. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. So are there any, any details other than that? Not yet. You know, I think it's so it's still, it's still in its infancy. And so we okay. will need to know. I mean, I'm sure there'll be details as they come around. She's not, you know, she's a, f a fairly well-known singer. It's not a C-list or anything by any means. So I'm right. sure we'll have it come out. It's not maybe not like an Ariana Grande, but at the same time, definitely has hundreds of thousands of fans in her own right. So yeah. I think we'll get info as it comes out. We'll share it. Yeah, we'll share the updates as we get. If there's something interesting there in the substantive, we'll be happy to talk about mm -hmm. it. So segueing briefly into just interesting, we talked a lot about divorce statistics. We kind of come back on that from time to time. And I came across a new study by 24-7 Wall Street reported by a small, a short report in a radio station's website, actually, that came across. And it said that Illinois ranks number two for lowest divorce rate in the United States, only behind Massachusetts. Massachusetts won this is top 10 states with the lowest divorce rates. The data represents divorces per 1,000 people. And uh, Massachusetts is a rate of one. And Illinois, 1.3. The next one, Texas, 1.4. Then hmm. it goes up in the top 10. Georgia, 2.2. Actually, it's a bunch of New York, New Jersey, Louisiana, Georgia, 2.2. And this person who wrote this article said, don't take this wrong if you live in Illinois. But I was frankly shocked to learn it's very possible land of Lincoln has one of the lowest divorce rates in America. Can this possibly be true? <laughs> and the person said, the fact that I have so many Illinois friends have unfortunately gone through divorce is likely why I'm in a state of disbelief about this stat. So I don't really know what to tell you because we just know anecdotal stuff. You know, we're not tracking the stats and the Illinois Bureau of like vital statistics that, that tracks this stuff, their website is so out of date. It's not even funny. It's like the data is like from 2017 or 18 or I haven't looked in a while, but it's really old. So anyway, interesting little tidbit. Maybe there's a lot of love going around in Illinois or I'm not sure. There is. But and sort of the cynic that we can sometimes be, you know, from our practice, maybe it's something what we talked about before where people aren't getting married as much and you don't get well, divorced if you don't get married. Now that's a good point. I think we mentioned that last show was just because the divorce rate has dropped doesn't mean the breakup rate has dropped. It just means maybe fewer people are getting married. 
married. The question is, is the divorce rate among married people? Let me look. That's, yeah. Is it, how is it segmented, right? So yeah, is it just of the whole populace or just of married people? I think that would be interesting to find out. That's a very interesting point that you make. It's, it says just 1,000 people. Uh, Nevada, shocker, 4.2 per 1,000 dominating the list. <laughs> uh, they're at the, the bottom end. But yeah, good point. I think we want to talk about, you know, segueing from Loa's divorce about the people who do get divorced. What are some reasons people regret divorce? Say, when people are ready to get divorced, they say, get me to the finish line already. I don't want to linger in the divorce process. I want to be done. It's not pleasant for most people. And most people just want it to be finished. But but what happens afterward, right? Nobody, you know, once we're done, we kind of move on and, and nobody really goes and talks to them about, hey, how are you feeling these days? So this um, Psychology Today friends there posted this, uh, this article, Davia Sills, I guess, from July 5th of 2023. She said seven reasons people regret divorce and a third to 80% of people regret divorcing after unexpected consequences. So she says statistical data suggests that at least one third of people regret their marriage dissolution. That number can rise to 80% for ex-spouses who chose the wrong reasons to get divorced and feel that it could be have been prevented if both parties had put more effort. Again, the reason is not the irreconcilable differences. That's just the legal term. So that's not a reason for divorce. So why do some people regret getting a divorce? Uh, and I'll just go through these quick points here. Sometimes the emotional upheaval of the divorce far exceeds what people might expect. Yeah. You know, people act in the moment uh, or not necessarily in the moment, but it's sort of a buildup. And they say this pain will go away once we're divorced. Maybe it doesn't all go away all the way, or maybe they say, hey, you know what? It's not what I thought it was. So some people say, hey, you know what? I thought, you know, I'm sticking around for my kids. That's all, you know, after the divorce. So it's very yeah. overwhelming for people. It's very sad stuff all around. The effects right. of divorce on children, the financial consequences of the divorce, additional failed relationships, loneliness, you know, again, depending on age, circumstances, things like that. Some people regret the divorce when they face the stigma, rejection, or judgment of and from family and friends. And then some people regret how the decision was made in the first place. So I always like to tell people, you know, we always say a good marriage is better than a good divorce. So there That's are ways right. to keep your marriage together. I think go for it. Uh, even the best divorce in the world still means you're getting divorced. Fastest, easiest divorce. So, and I also always say if, you know, the instant gratification stuff shouldn't apply for things like divorce, you can always get divorced tomorrow. So if you don't do it today though, then, you know, you're done. And <laughs> right. think of, you know, if you can sleep on it, should think an extra day and see if you can make amends and, you know, make inroads and salvaging the relationship, then go for it. Yeah. And this is coming from divorce lawyers. So that's just something to say about that. And so it also goes into saying, what do you do if you have regrets, right? So acknowledge the emotions and spend some time exploring them. You might reach out to your ex and talk about it, focus on personal growth and give yourself time to move on. So just some, you know, food for thought there. I think that it's important to kind of acknowledge, you know, what the other side of it is after the divorce, you know, it might not be all flowers and rainbows, I guess. Yeah, that's a great article because those are good, all good points. This next one I wanted to mention, it's behind a paywall. So I don't want to, I'm not going to get too far into it because it'll be frustrating to people. But I just want to mention, it's an interesting article people can check out. And Arthur Brooks in The Atlantic wrote an article entitled, Why the Most Successful Marriages Are Startups, Not Mergers. And I thought that was an interesting analogy because I sometimes use business analogies talking about marriage too, like the boardroom. And as I'm writing my second book about whether to decide whether to get divorced or stay married, I talk about marriage being the boardroom and not letting other outside forces come in the boardroom to help decide the future of the corporation. <laughs> the article starts out talking about what's sort of the ideal age to get married and there's research showing it's like supposedly 28 to 32 for both partners. He claims, he says that in Aristotle offered advice, this is a quote, it is fitting for the women to be married at about the age of 18 and the men at 37 or a little before. So that's Aristotle. He was no dummy. Okay. So, but social scientists have apparently come up with this idea of 28 to 32. And we've talked about trends where marriages are happening later in life now, mm -hmm. supposed to be one reason why the divorce rate is down as people are more intentionally getting married and kind of sowing their wild oats and all that kind of stuff and having more life experience. So he has an analogy later, he discusses how they're startups and not mergers. And I think the idea being that the successful marriage is people really going in a venture together and putting in, you know, an equal effort to contributing to the success of the enterprise, uh -huh. if you will, and not a merger where really in mergers, people kind of one usually wins out over the other and absorbs the other one. And in a startup, it's more like, hey, we're in this together. We're going to row this boat to be successful together. We're both going to try to pull hard and 
and succeed. And I think that's really what he's getting at. And again, paywall. So those of you that subscribe to The Atlantic, you can check it out. But I just thought it was an interesting analogy to mention that he talks about that. And I think there's some real truth to that concept. And it's one of the things the Gottmans talk about, the famous divorce and marriage researchers, is the key thing to successful marriage is what they call turning toward each other, which is acknowledging each other and putting time into the relationship. And when one person says something to you, you don't shrug it off. You turn, you physically turn toward them. You acknowledge them. You listen. And they, their research shows that the couples that turn toward each other in a higher percentage, their marriages are much more successful because people feel that positive energy coming back at them and they return the favor. So, so that was what I wanted. I just wanted to mention, I thought it was interesting. I think that's really, really interesting. And it's sort of like the startup is like you're going through a new frontier and you're sort of going, you know, trekking new lands together and stuff and you're figuring it out together as you go along. So yep. cool, cool analogy. So the next one was, you were going to talk about- Well, I think there's some, some financial stuff, right? You have some 12 tips for financial. Yeah, 12 tips for financial stress. A good article that's in Psychology Today, actually. It's really more of a, it's a mechanical article, really. It's like technical, almost like a divorce lawyer would have written it. So a financial person wrote this. So the author of this article wrote, some tips to help you know reduce stress for finances and pretty straightforward and if you have a good divorce lawyer they some of this stuff they they should be on top of so that you're not worrying about this that's what you're paying for (laughs) but you might not be or you're handling this yourself so these tips are good one is call the court clerk so check or you can look online check the status of your case to know what's going on and what the next court date is and where the case stands your lawyer should be keeping you apprised of that but if they aren't check up on it Stay realistic yet optimistic. It's important to have a realistic idea of what the outcomes are in your case and a cost-benefit analysis, willingness to compromise. I talk about that and I just want this done in the book. Rally your troops. So if you can't cover your initial costs, reach out to family or friends. Good advice. Uh, borrowing money from a loved one can help you get started. Seek out pro bono groups. There are a lot of public aid organizations that will help people who are of limited financial means to help them with the divorce process. There are also some law firms that will do fixed fees or they do low bono work, which is like they do charge, but it's low cost for people that have limited income. Reach out to local law schools. Some of them have family aid or family law clinics like Loyola mm-hmm. Law School where I went to school in Chicago. Search the internet. There's a lot of good stuff on the internet providing information about options and a, a lot more information than ever on the internet. Be advised, some of it is total garbage. So you have to be careful and double check your sources, but there's more information than ever out there. There are online divorce services also that can help you file, but it's good to consult with a experienced divorce attorney, even if you are doing DIY. So even if you do divorce yourself, we can help you. Other law firms can help you. And we do sort of a consulting basis where it's semi-DIY. You're, you're building the house, but whenever something is confusing, you come to us and we say, oh, here's the blueprint. And, and you can take the next steps. We're happy to do that for people and other lawyers are too. Some won't do it, but we offer that service. A couple of other things, consult with local bar associations, ask for fee waivers from the court. If you have limited means, the court will waive your appearance fees and filing fees sometimes. Ask your spouse for an advance for money, or like we mentioned earlier, the court can grant temporary fees in divorce cases. Sell assets. Sometimes you can sell an asset to finance the divorce. You can also borrow. Sometimes people have a line of credit or whatever, and they can borrow money to finance the expenses for divorce. Consider mediation, which we always recommend. And reach out to an experienced divorce lawyer, item 12. So really good overview in this article. These are just great points to keep in mind, and we'll have this link provided. So do you have any added thoughts on that one? No, I think that's I think that's pretty comprehensive. Ultimately, like you kind of said in, as one of the points there, even if you can't afford a lawyer, you want, if you want to go the route yourself, you don't even want to get a lawyer to consult with, get some legal advice. Talk to someone once or twice. You know, Give a call to a lawyer. See if they'll offer a free consult or a paid consult. You know, you get what you pay for. So free consult might not do it for you. But if you pay for somebody's time, they'll make sure it's worth your while. So you you get a consult, just get a rough idea of what you're shooting at, and then right. off you go. So like you said, it's really tough these days, especially to sift through all the garbage that you see online, because you know we have clients call us and say, well, I read this online. I'm like, well, unless that person's an attorney, I wouldn't believe what they said because it makes no sense. Yeah, uh, or so, it's different state or it's Exactly. Old. Yeah. So the law changes. These articles don't necessarily get updated all the time. So you have to be very careful. I think it pays to sort of talk to somebody at least once. Yeah, and also a reminder, we mentioned this many episodes ago. We talked about chat GPT and AI. People need to know that the generic AI models don't understand the law yet. 
I say yet because at some point they might teach the models, the heuristics or the rules needed to understand the law. So for example, famously, the, the AI models have hallucinated cases. They've completely fabricated statements about what the law is. They just made it up completely. It sounds real convincing because if you, you know, I mentioned before, if you think of GPT as a blender and they throw all this stuff from the internet in and it chops it up, it knows how to sound really good. Oh, yeah. And some of its answers are excellent. But for legal stuff, it puts out stuff that sounds great, but it's utter garbage and, or it's close to the law, but it's not the law or it's something that might be true in another state, but not true in your state. Although it'll tell you it's from your state, it'll even make up case names. So for example, when I asked it, I asked ChatGPT a couple months ago, or maybe six weeks ago, what Illinois child support law was. And it, it told me the child support law very confidently said this was what it was, but it was out of date. It was information from before 2017. So our system's changed a lot since then. So just be advised the stuff out there can be garbage. Like Rahul said, check with a licensed attorney, even to verify stuff you're already doing. And it might not, it's probably not that expensive to have a lawyer just check up. Exactly. Yeah. So the next thing is not a fun story. This is a tough story we were going to mention here. Tell us about this one. Yeah, very sad stuff. Maryland judge fatally shot in driveway after issuing a judgment in the suspect's divorce. So... This morning, I guess for us, it's October 20th, but you know, whenever this episode is released, we'll see. But nevertheless, today, this morning, a person by the name of Pedro Argati was suspect in the fatal shooting, Thursday shooting of a Washington County Circuit Court assistant judge, Andrew Wilkinson, condolences to his family. He was 52 and was found dead in his driveway with apparent gunshot wounds. The guy is still at large. They're still looking for him. And they're saying that anybody who has any information about him, please help us find him. So they don't really know too much beyond that because they're still looking for him. But court yeah. records show that the judge presided over a judgment hearing in, in the guy's divorce case from 2022 on Thursday and then was shot and killed. The next hearing date was scheduled for October 31st. How do they so, know it was this guy? Is there anything in the article talking about why they know it's this guy? Because they seem pretty sure about it. Yeah. So I don't know. I wonder if there was, it was his driveway. So I wonder if there was like a ring camera or something yeah. that might've captured it. They haven't really said yet, but okay. they have the make and model of the vehicle. It's a 2009 silver Mercedes GL 450. They have the license plate. They responded to a shooting in the 19100 block or 19,100 block of Old Waterford Road around 8 p.m. on Thursday. He was pronounced dead. Or maybe there were eyewitnesses. So yeah. not really sure. Don't have too much more information, but very, very sad stuff. Definitely not the first time something's happened to a judge or a lawyer. Yeah, unfortunately, this reminded me of a fairly famous story at, among divorce lawyers and, sh and people that know Chicago history because uh, Judge Harry Gentile was shot and killed in his courtroom in 1983 at the Daly Center, which is the main courthouse in Cook County. And this is before my time. I graduated high school in 87, but in 83, a divorce lawyer and Harry, the judge, were shot by a party in the courtroom. And at the time, it was a gentleman named Hutchie Moore was this guy. Well, not a gentleman, I guess. I'm murderer. But it was just a sad story all around because when you look at the history of Hutchie Moore, he was a former police officer and had been rendered a paraplegic by being shot by his son years before. So this person was a tortured soul, obviously. And in a post-decree hearing, I don't have any details on what it was about, but in a post-decree court hearing in the late morning, interestingly enough, Friday, almost 20 years ago, like to the day. So today's October 20th, we're recording this, but it was October 21, 1983. It was a Friday. Moore had a wheelchair in the courtroom and he had a handgun. People are like, well, how did he get a gun in? Back then, folks, they didn't have metal detectors. So Cook County's response to this, because, and they say, well, how is that possible? Well, it's a different world back then to some extent. People wouldn't think of shooting judges, or at least it wasn't it was super uncommon. But also the deputies were armed. And I think they thought that was enough security to have armed deputies in the courtrooms and the, the bailiffs, you know, the sheriff's police have a bailiff division that handles court security and these guys have guns. So I think they figured, well, that's enough. Well, if you've been in the Daily Center, at least, well, they end up putting in metal detectors and much more security. You used to be able to just walk in the Daily Center, go up the elevator, go to a courtroom right. and they put in airport type metal detectors, well, at the time, what was airport grade before 9-11, and they got much more intense with that security. But Cook was the first I remember because I started practicing in 94. And when I started practicing, they already had metal detectors. And some other courthouses were just getting security in the outlying counties. And DuPage County got elaborate security measures at the front of the courthouse. And it was designed to be entered by multiple directions. 
uh, you, you could just walk in from different directions in the courthouse. The architect had it designed that way. It was probably, it was designed in the early nineties or late eighties. And then they had to adapt it and they shut off the rear entrance. They rebuilt front to adapt to the whole security thing and the, and people going through metal detectors. So this sort of prompted that. And there's a plaque in the courtroom memorializing both Harry Gentile and and Mr. Pizer, the attorney who was killed, he was only 32 years old. But Hutchie Moore had a tortured past. And I don't know the story, but obviously didn't like what was going on in court. Said something about he was doing post-decree work and Pizer was representing the shooter's ex-spouse, ex-wife. And the guy Moore asked for a new lawyer and the judge refused. And then Moore pulled the gun out and began shooting. So very sad story, but prompting people to get very security conscious at the courthouse. And I'm happy to report that stuff like this is quite rare in the divorce business. Things have happened to lawyers occasionally too, where they've been threatened by people and stuff like that. But those incidents are pretty few and far between. And it's important to act with civility and grace with everybody in this business. And we've always conducted ourselves very respectfully with opposing parties and opposing lawyers. I think it's the right thing to do, number one. I think it's good business, number two. Number three, it, it keeps the tone and tenor of the communication as positive as possible, and you don't personalize it. So you're, you're much less likely to get people angry to the point where, let's just start on the low end of the spectrum, the point where they're going to blow up a settlement and you know, proceed to trial, or you're not going to be able to negotiate with them, or they're going to be unreasonable. You're less likely to cause people to get angry and not use their heads. If you treat people nicely, I know it's a shocker, but you know, and I know you're this way too. And our, the rest of our firm operates this way, but some lawyers, unfortunately don't operate this way and they kind of get personal and it gets kind of nasty and you're begging for trouble, both in not getting a case settled, or if somebody is maybe not mentally all there, you could be asking for trouble if you treat people really poorly. And it's also your credibility, right? You go to a court and the judge is like, oh, if Rafe says it's good, it's good for me, if it's good enough for him, or if he says it, I'll believe it. So no problem. So it's, yeah. it's the respect that you cultivate because you, they see that you're an upstanding guy who does the right thing. So, I mean, there's yep. something to be said about that and it just feels good. I mean, you don't want to go home every day from work just feeling like a total, you know what, I'd rather just feel good about yourself by making other people yeah. feel good, simple. When you make it personal, the client's not paying for that. They really don't get served well by you making it personal because then you stop thinking with your logical mind and instead you're getting angry, you're getting hyped mm -hmm. up, and then your lawyer brain turns off and your animal brain turns on and that's when things devolve. Anyway, sad story, but it was, unfortunately, there is a precedent for this and not just in divorce, but other areas of law. So let's end on a lighter note about dating apps because we always like to talk a little bit about dating. Yeah, so we, you know, just like we like to keep our finger on the pulse of celebrity stuff here, uh, we like to noodle with uh, with dating apps as well. And I guess there's a new dating app that launched this summer called Raw, R-A-W, and it's apparently booming among young and creative New Yorkers. What okay. they appreciate, apparently, this is from a Yahoo Finance article, what they appreciate is, is the uh, fresh approach to online dating. No more boring profiles, only real-time photos that users post daily. So they apparently snap back and front shots, and that's how they appear on the daily swipe feed to their crush. So there is an app out there right now called, called Be yeah. Real. Yeah, can you explain how that works? I heard about this. Yeah, so you have the Instagram where you carefully take a picture, you curate, you filter, you post, most glamorous thing ever, and it's going to be there forever. Be Real sort of is meant to be like, not the polar opposite because it's not ephemeral in nature, but rather it's sort of like, hey, what am I doing right now? So I might get a notification on my phone. I don't personally have the app, but let's just say I did. I have friends who do. It'll say, okay, you have, a, you have 30 seconds or you have 30 minutes to take a picture. So then you click a picture, so it'll take a picture from the back camera as well as the front. So then you'll know what you're doing and also where, where you are. are. So uh. that's that's what it does. So, you know, you probably shouldn't be taking pictures and compromising places and times. If you get 30 minutes, are you like scrambling to find someplace cool? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't have to take a picture, right? But you just... Right, you know, right. you, you don't, you're not required to take a picture, I guess, but okay. that's, that's kind of how you keep, you know, keep up your reputation, I guess, on the apps. It looks like this is taking something of that where it's like no more catfishing, no more scamming with like old photos or fake identities, or you are in like a group of people and nobody knows which one of those people you are. And you're like, are you that person or this person? So it's like, they want it to be real, not sneaky. So the second thing it does is apparently it tackles toxicity and ghosting. So they have tried out two new features, apparently, a, a respect meter that publicly oh. shows green or red and a no ghosting rule that stops you from starting a new chat with your new crush. 
if you already have too many on- ongoing unreplied conversations. So if you're Good being a jerk one. to people, it's going to have a big red flag next to your picture. And if, so you're, if, being, you're, if you're basically gaming and you're like just swiping right on a bunch of people and playing games with folks, it doesn't let you keep opening new chats. Exactly. So I'm not going to oh. leave, leave a lot of people on red or, or whatever the phrase is and just move on. Yeah. It's going to say, well, that's not what we're here for. So interesting. You know, everyone comes up with a new concept. That's, that's really interesting. I still think there's no, well, there's nothing better than in person, obviously, but it seems to me a lot of this stuff will be solved by people FaceTiming for like five minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. just make sure you're real. Show me your ID real quick or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. A block part of your ID and hold it up when you show me the video, you know, you're on video and then talk for two minutes, make sure they look like what you think they look like. And then you can meet them. It's like, I don't know why people would show up for a date cold and just have seen some photos and not do a little bit two minute video when we've got FaceTime. But what do I know? It's either they're too adventurous or the exact opposite where they have no street smarts at all. And they'll just, it's like, it's like the kids, you know, parents tell people don't take candy from strangers. Don't get into a random person's car. Like people do all those things now. <laughs> don't no, talk to strangers. Yeah, that's all yeah, people do now. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. Anything, anything else on that? That's interesting. No, that's, that's, that's the newest, uh, latest trend here, our latest app. So we'll see how that happens with that, I guess. All right. So uh, that's it. We'll call it a wrap. That's the pod. Cool.